friends, Andy Saluda here, and I want to come to you, I want to share with you another weekly episode of the Clergy Roundtable. I am again, Andy Saluda of the Hollywood Full Gospel Baptist Cathedral of Abbeville, New York, along with the Queen's Ministry of New York City. I'm joined by several clerics from around the country, and as is our custom, let's begin in the state which political pundits will determine the uh, outcome of the election tonight. That's North Carolina. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you, Bishop Lear. Grace and peace to everyone. Archbishop Dennis Scarpin here in Raleigh, North Carolina, Global uh, Conference of Bishops and Living in Favor Global Network. We greet you today on this very fine election day. Great, great. Thank you, sir. And while we're still there in North Carolina, Grace and peace. I'm Archbishop Anthony Slater, the senior pastor of Tehillah Church Ministries and the presiding prelate of Tehillah International Fellowship. And I do understand that um, Iowa is going to be uh, critical and pivotal in the election tonight, but we have a representative from Iowa ourselves, Bishop Desmond. And good morning. I greet you in divine love. I bring you greetings from Cornelia Ministry, Full Gospel Baptist Church. And I am just happy to be here. Helen Singster is my name. Thank you, Bishop Designate, and the sponsor of uh, our Bishop Designate, all the way shuffling in from Buffalo. Grace and peace to one and all. God bless you. I am Bishop Jeffrey Bowens, pastor of the Love Alive Fellowship. Gospel Baptist Church, and we're just looking forward to change to be in the atmosphere. Yes, and then let's finalize our introductions by going to Virginia. Peace and blessings be unto you. This is Bishop Audie Hines coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. We are Metro Community Ministries. Uh, it's headed up in our Marketplace Ministry approach. Oh, thank you, sir. Well, friends, if you've not figured out today, the day of this recording is actually Election Day 2020 uh, here in the United States. And um, we are all anxious and um, anticipating a rather lengthy day as perhaps the most important day in the life of our country in the last four years will be taking place. I think that the most enthusiastic and passionate voice that I have heard today has been that of Bishop Jeffrey Bowens out of Buffalo, as when we raised the question as to what we were going to talk about, he had more volume in his voice than anyone else. And so I'm going to yield and invite him to moderate our discussion today, and we'll go in whatever direction he decides to take us. Bishop? Bishop, a little we have uh, Bishop uh, Stephanie. Oh! Bishop <laughs> Green, God bless you. We missed you these last couple of weeks. I've tried to uh, keep up with you and remain in contact with you. But yes, uh, let's hear from my neighbor on the north shore of Long Island. Good morning. Good morning. Just glad to be able to log on today um, and to be a part of the discussion. Thank you, Bishop. All righty. Our prelate from Buffalo. Grace and peace. God bless uh, brothers and sisters. Um, certainly we are in um, critical, some critical time 
in our world, in our nation, and um, we are uh, making a uh, quality decision about who's going to lead this country in the, the future. So we are, we definitely have that definitely on our mind and in our thought. Um, one of the things that we discovered over the last four years is that leadership matters. Um, and it's important for us to have uh, proper leadership. Um, and those of us who are um, in the grassroots and those who are in the political foray um, and those who are just in the kingdom of God. I was thinking about this morning of 1 Timothy 2 and 1, where the Bible speaks about that we have to pray for kings and for all those that are in authority, um, that they would be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. Um, moreover, um, we are told that we may live a peaceful and quiet life um, in, the, in the kingdom. So um, the, the thought that came up on last week was uh, very uh, fascinating. Um, we ended our discussion by talking about conservatism and liberalism. And um, <clears throat> one of the things that captivated my attention was I was watching a commercial and uh, a reporter was asking um, one of the pundits and asking them, you know, as a conservative Christian, why are you voting this way and why are you voting that way? And it dawned on me, should we be putting these extra titles on being a Christian? Should we be referring to ourselves as liberal, progressive, conservative Christians? And uh, looking back in retrospect, I, I look in the, in the biblical reference and historically, uh, people just referred to themselves as Christians. How did we get to all of these additional titles and what should we do about them? I'm gonna start off with Archbishop Goffin because I'm sure he can give us a, a histor historical perspective on how to uh, really uh, <clears throat> reconcile these different issues that we are dealing with. Archbishop. Thank you, Bishop Bowens. I, I think that as we discuss this and we make issue with this whole idea of where we're going uh, with this issue and what we're talking about. I think one of the things that's important to what we're looking at and how we, we view this together is to begin to look at the fact that Christianity started off very simplistic. So it was in a region and everybody was considered Christian who believed in the uh, apostolic doctrine and practiced apostolic tradition. Uh, the more that Christianity evolved and uh, stretched out its geographical location, its cultural location, and the various views on doctrine, we now have in our day camps. We have what we call conservative and liberal. Conservative primarily means they're staying to the orthodox viewpoint of what the scripture uh, says. Liberal was defined as more in taking a top Okay, seems like we done had some interference there. 
um, Archbishop went completely off the off the uh, Facebook here. Is anyone else off? Is is this me, Bishop Luter? Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Seems oh. that uh, Archbishop is frozen. Yes. Um, if I can kind of continue where he perhaps yes, left may. off. Yes, you may. Right. So, so here is the harsh reality. I think you're absolutely right. At the outset in the inception, the origin and the root of Christianity, it was intended to be generic. It was, the, it was intended to be absent adjectives and, in, and other descriptive terms that would identify what kind of Christian uh, a Christian might be. But early on in the life of the church, what we do notice is that there is this adoption of the early and the earliest form were ethnic identities. Now, they have been used so long until we no longer tend to think of them as ethnic identities. And what I want to argue and suggest is that early on in the life of the church, historically, uh, there has been a cultural influence and a cultural impact upon the practice of Christianity. And early on, we begin to see these ethnic identities. Remember, when we say Roman Catholic Church, that's actually an ethnic identity because we're talking about Rome, we're talking about Italians, we're talking about Christianity that is practiced in that cultural context. And then, of course, the parallel to the Roman Catholic Church was the Greek Orthodox Church, the Greek Orthodox Church. And so you begin to see the appearance of these adjectives early on in the life of the church, even beyond the Greek Orthodox Church, the Roman Catholic Church. What do we have next? The African Orthodox Church, the African Orthodox Church. And then for the next 2000 years, there is the Russian Orthodox Church. Then there's the Armenian Church. Uh, there is the um, Swedish Orthodox Church. And then when we come a little uh, closer to where we are now, we have the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And so almost from the outset, there has been this integration of cultural identity that has been associated with the church. Now, let me come to exactly what, what you're talking about, Bishop. It's a very small step from a cultural ethnic identity to a sociological identity. So if it is appropriate and there is a precedent of saying that Christians are Greek or Christians are Roman or Christians are African, then it's a very small step from that ethnic identity to a sociological identity. Well, a Christian, if they can be Greek, if they can be Roman, if they can be African, then they also can be conservative. They can also be liberal. They can also be blue. They can also be red. And so I think that is what we're seeing. The precedent of attaching adjectives to the identity of Christianity opened the door for us now to talk about evangelical Christians, radical Christians, liberal Christians, all kinds of adjectives and descriptions have now been associated with Christianity. I'll yield and let some of our other panelists weigh in. Thank you so much, um, Bishop Luter, for defining the various uh, components there from its inception and from its origin up into the current um, time. Archbishop Slater, um, do you do you sense that having all of these additional titles, uh, whether conservative, liberal, 
progressive, et cetera, et cetera. Is that hurting the church or is that helping the church? What does that do when we begin to put all these additional titles to the, the name of Christian? What should be done about that? Well, uh, thank you, Bishop Bowen. Um, I'm from the school of, I believe that in my thinking, it, it hurts the church more because it brings about a separation of who we are or what we should be straining. Our real focus should be, um, as Bishop Luther has stated about the death, the burial, resurrection, the apostles' doctrine. And what has been taking place is that culture and individual cultures have been uh, dictating almost biblical interpretation. Uh, and when I say that, I mean that some things apply and, you know, it's almost like we pick and choose what we want to believe. And I think that it, when we begin to start seeing things in the biblical aspect, it will bring us back together. But of course, again, we all have our interpretations. We've always heard that um, since the time, especially since we've all got our commentaries and, and things of that nature, we all have our little, um, become little theologians everywhere. And so instead of getting, you know, looking at the whole conclusion of the matter, we come up with our own feelings and we interject the, our feelings into the scripture and, and we cause problems because facts don't care about your feelings. And especially if I believe in the word of God as being a fact, of being the truth. And the Bible says, and the truth shall make you free. And I think that the church has become in its own bondage by its own ideologies within its separate groups that keeps us divided when the whole mission of, mission of Christ was to bring us back together, as you will see in the book of Ephesians chapter four. Thank you so much, Archbishop. Um, which brings me to Bishop Hines. Bishop Hines, um, perhaps you are um, chopping at the bit to get a hold to this. Uh, I wanted to know, does these various titles, do they have a, a political, uh, the, uh, direction or do are they more political than they are Christian or kingdom minded when we talk about these various types of uh, uh, titles or adjectives as um, Bishop Luther had mentioned? Uh, thank you, uh, Bishop Bowen. Uh, from my perspective, um, I've watched um, this diversion, div the diversion of divide and conquer tactic amongst the Christian community. To be a Christian is a born again believer. And we talked about that on last week, but to mm -hmm. go into the esegesics of it, we're kingdom citizens. So we are not associated or have to be affiliated with conservative or progressive demeanors. And once we come together around our kingdom citizenship, I'm an action plan person. It helps us to dilute what Archbishop Luther talked about, which is the ethnic identification. If we're all kingdom citizens, then there is no room for us to separate ourselves by our ethnicities, but we're all under the blood. So Orthodox Greek or Orthodox Roman or Roman Orthodox, it doesn't play a part. And I believe that's where we have to now 
with this traditional versus progressive disposition, that's politics 101. And, and to undermine that, to say we need a kingdom citizen posture that we're going to take a position of, we're not going to be either or, but we're going to speak truth to power to both ends. Thank you so much. God bless you. I'm Bishop Hines. Um, that's, that's so true. Um, Bishop Green, I want to come to you because I know that you have had uh, a, a great history um, with uh, being in Muslim um, arena. Um, you have also had some Catholicism um, in your uh, portfolio. And um, then you also got some Pentecostal. So I know that this, <laughs> I know that this hit you pretty good. My question to you, uh, how, 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 how did we come to this? Is this more of a racial kind of thing when we start talking about conservatism versus liberalism? Is it more that uh, conservatism, are people of Caucasian persuasion? Is this their way of, of pretty much uh, going in a, a particular political direction. How do you see this? Um, uh, thank you so much, Bishop, for asking me that question. I was hoping that my question would be geared in that direction because I had an answer that I wanted to share. And again, thank you everybody for welcoming me back. Just had to take a couple of weeks off and rest. Um, nevertheless, what I wanted to say is in sitting in Bishop Luther's classes, Throughout the years, I learned exactly what he talked about with the cultural shifts um, and the new ideologies that those that would come up that people would come up with. Living as a Muslim, going to Catholic school, uh, then becoming Pentecostal, Baptocostal, if you would. Um, I, I, more as a Muslim, I had to be involved or hear different things regarding uh, politics. Um, but this really began as a movement. And if we take it back to a woman by the name of Phyllis Shafley, who somewhere in the late 70s to early 80s wanted to go up against, uh, I can't think of the other woman, uh, Gloria Steinberg, as the women were beginning to rise and women were, were looking for different rights. Uh, the women were, were coming out and they, weren't, they wanted more protection toward their bodies. They wanted to do things a different way. Phyllis Shafley, who was married um, into a Christian family, and her friends were what we called evangelical, um, they, they stuck together and they began to shift uh, the government, thinking that, that Ronald Reagan would even gravitate toward what Phyllis Shafley was doing. And so now we have these conservatives and we have these liberals because prior to that you were either a democrat or a republic point a republican point blank going all the way back to lincoln you know and going all the way back to those days but when movements began to happen when movements began to happen when ideas and one of the bishops said it you know we, we're, we're we're commonwealth citizens of the kingdom of god um we we, we we don't vote always based upon our instinct we're supposed to we're supposed to uh, trust God in the process of everything. Whether or not Trump gets voted back in today or not, I have to trust God throughout the process of these next four years. And different movements come about, and we have to name these movements. Now we have um, uh, uh, millennials, 
prior to the millennials, you had baby boomers. Prior to the baby boomers, you had, uh, you know, you had different names. There always has to be a movement. And I think that the church has faltered sometimes in getting caught up. You listen to a lot of churches today and they say, well, we're, 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 we're a cultural shifting church. We, 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 we have a cultural shift, the cultural shift. We're, we're the kingdom. We're kingdom builders. And so um, with everything that I've ever experienced in my life, when I got to, to the Baptist Castle Church and when I became Christian, the name changes throughout the years have been more sporadic, honestly, than it was. When I was a Muslim, I was simply a Muslim. When I went to Catholic school, I learned about uh, the, the, the mother, Mary, Mary the Virgin, the, the mother, Mary the mother of Christ the Virgin. When I came to church, I had Church of God in Christ, I had the Baptist Church, I had the Pentecost Church, had all these different things, and it began to influence my thought process. It influenced my thought process. It influenced my thought process. Until we get to a point where we're now picking and choosing who and what we are and what we're titled at as Christians, even politically. And so, you know, a lot of it starts with our movements. It starts with, you know, our desire to vote as black people, our desire to have rights as women. Uh, you know, just different things like that. And so that's my input, Bishop. Thank you. Thank you so much. You made a, um, some points very, very clear in how the um, political aspect began to impact Christianity and how it had begun to um, evolve and change and shift predicated upon political persuasion. And um, which brings my question, my next question to um, Bishop designate um, Helen Singster. God bless you, dear, all the way from Iowa. We're so glad to have you with us. Um, and we know that you all are voting correct today. But um, nonetheless, I wanted to just share with you, um, do, do, you th do you sense that we can find some common ground when we are referred to all these different titles? Is there some common ground? And, and where do we find that common ground? How do we come to a resolution? We saying that we're Christians over here, Christians over there. Um, is it doing more, causing more division than it is unity? And if so, what should we do about it? And what is our, what should be the process? I'll make it short and sweet. I think all of these uh, titles and labels, it's almost like schizophrenia. We don't know who we are. We got this and we got that, all that. And we have to go back to the word of God. And if we're kingdom people, then we're going to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ and the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, and you probably heard me say this before. Jesus was not a conformist. So I'm not a conformist. I'm going to stand on his word and, um, and follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. And because of that, then we have to be like Paul. We have to be, uh, um, we have to administer to all people, you know, um, and we have to um, not compromise the word, but we have to know who we are. If we believe in, and this monotheistic God, then we have to stand on that. We can't decide that we're going to be um, red one day and blue the next day. Or, or and I have, I went to a Presbyterian seminary, uh, studied in with the Lutherans. My daughter went to Catholic school, and I, I too, uh, Bishop was uh, 
Muslim at one time. So I, I, when you become a Christian, you have to stand on the values of what that means. And we cannot allow um, people to give us these labels. If we're a Christian, we're going to be a Christian, and we're going to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ and, and his lifestyle. So that's my short, sweet <laughs> answer. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, did Archbishop return? Archbishop Goffin, did he return? Okay. All right. Our prayers be with him. He'll, he'll probably catch up with us later. Well, then, Bishop Luter, we're coming back to you. And um, obviously, we need some answers here uh, in regards to, do you think that race is playing a part in these different adjectives, distinctions that we have been placed on, on each one of us as Christians now? Do you think that race or something in the America DNA that's causing these different titles to come forth? Mm -hmm. I think that's an excellent question, uh, Bishop, and thank you for the opportunity to respond. Race has been pivotal and it is inescapable. It is both apparent and clear that race has been a crucial factor and influencer in the practice of Christianity in this country since its inception. We can go all the way back to 1619 uh, when the first uh, people of color arrived in this country as chattel property. Race was introduced as not only a divider, but a determiner in terms of how people were going to be treated. The other thing that I wanna say, and I know this is gonna make some of us feel a little uncomfortable because the ideal is that we all be one, that the church is universal, the church is unified, the church is, uh, practices a solidarity ministry. And certainly, ultimately, when we all get to heaven, I do believe that there will be a single uh, expression of Christianity. But our pursuit of that ideal and our chasing of that uh, perfection uh, has divided itself along racial lines. And unfortunately, in this country, actually globally and universally, but particularly in this country, uh, Christianity has never been monolithic. It has never been uniform. There's never been a single expression of Christianity. It has always been varied. It has always been pluralistic. And it has always been used to support a particular political agenda. It has oftentimes been manipulated and exploited. It has been misinterpreted. It has been misused. Let me see if I can give you an example. Uh, in the 1950s, Martin Luther King, with a social consciousness, begins to leave a movement that is in the best interest of his people, who we are. His most fierce critics and opposers when he came to Birmingham, Alabama, was not the Ku Klux Klan. It was not the Sheriff's Department. It was not uh, the Southern Dixocrats of that day, the most fierce opponents of Martin Luther King and the modern civil rights movement in Alabama was the church community. And it prompted Martin Luther King to write a letter from Birmingham. And if this, this, this church community, uh, well, let me go back even before that, because unfortunately, Christianity and the Bible was used to justify slavery. And even after the Civil War, it was used to justify the black holes. It was used to justify Plessy 
versus Ferguson and uh, the legal separation or American apartheid in this country. And so Christianity has always been manipulated, used and exploited for the political agenda of those who refuse to see humanity as equal. And it was Martin Luther King who wrote the letter from Birmingham, whereby he had to challenge the church community, not with his own view, not with his own writing, but with the intellectual property of the church community that was criticizing him. He appealed to the writings of a Paul Tillich, a Karl Barth, a Walter Rauschenbusch. And it's, and it's only when he used members of their own community and what they were saying, what they were doing and how they were explaining the Bible, was he able to defend himself again, not from the Ku Klux Klan, not from the sheriff's department, but from people who call themselves Christian as well. And unfortunately, despite our preference to see ourselves as one, to see ourselves as a single beloved community, Unfortunately, the practice of Christianity in this country has been determined to a great, de a great degree by race because the usage of Christianity has been used by our community to secure our civil rights. Remember, it was the church, the black church, that stood at the forefront of the modern civil rights movement. But on the other side of that leisure, on the other side of that equation, it was uh, the church and Christianity that was fueling neo-Nazism in this country, that was fueling the Ku Klux Klan. Remember, the Ku Klux Klan felt that they were carrying out Christian principles. And so Christianity has never been monolithic. It has never been a single expression. It is always, and I, I say this all the time, that the religion of the oppressor is never the religion of the oppressed. Thank you so much, Bishop, for that uh, in-depth history lesson. That was absolutely tremendous. You hit on a lot of um, thoughts and considerations. Um, Archbishop Slater, I'm coming to you because Bishop Luther has certainly stirred something up. And he's suggesting that the uh, Christianity has never been monotheistic. So therefore, if that's the case, how do we proceed? How do we go forward um, as people of God? Um, and the question that I really have for you, Archbishop, is um, whether or not have Christianity really taken hold of the heart of man? Have it really taken a hold? If we can burn a cross and put a cross in the front of someone's house and then threaten them, and then uh, victimize them. How 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 do we how do we process that, Archbishop? Well, I have several problems with the whole narrative. Uh, we talk about the burning of the cross and in and out front of our houses and and attacking our community, but the church has allowed an organization to creep into our neighborhood, and now we have forty percent of our black babies as Christians, and we support it, are aborted. And now they're saying that they don't even care if the baby's out, the woman can decide, the baby can die. Now, to me, the Bible says, it, 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 even the Bible, it's just, that's murder. 
So if we keep going with this narrative and genocide in our own community, how is it that we're going to point the finger outside? That's one of my problems. And, 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 and then the other thing is we've lost the sanctity of life, period. We, we, we have agreed that it's okay that we don't live. It, it's okay, even though the narrative may have started on the other side, but we have agreed with it. I'm still tight with Marilyn O'Hare deal. Where was the church at this matter? So my, my question is, when does the church wake up whether or not we're in differences? We should be agreeing that Jesus is Lord and, and that we have an opportunity. And the other part is we're supposed to be spiritual people, but I don't see where we're tapping into spirituality of what's taking place naturally. Um, the Bible says the letter killeth what the spirit makes alive, but when do we entreat the spirit into our situation? Not going around humming, singing hymns, and that's not where I'm at. I'm talking about understanding what is happening in our own community. I'm understanding what do we do, how do we change where we're going? How is it that we have allowed the redefinition of marriage to slip in under the radar? Not saying that everybody's a Christian in America, because this is not a Christian uh, a country. But I'm saying, what do we do to preach truth, to push the agenda of the scripture and be feel good about it? Because we know God is going to judge us by what we stand for. Who do you stand with? It's the question. <laughs> Thank you so much, Archbishop. We can always expect Archbishop to open up a Pandora's box. So I'm going to give him someone that is able to respond to him. One of our ladies is gonna come right now. I'm gonna call Bishop Green. Bishop Green, how do you respond to uh, Archbishop's thoughts about that we need to check ourselves first and then um, worry about the rest later? What is your thoughts on that? Um, I, I agree with some of what Archbishop has said, um, but it gets hairy. It gets very hairy, um, and especially when he talked about the abortion portion. Um, um, you know, the Bible talks about hands that sheds innocent blood. And so that becomes something personal between you and God um, that you're going to have to work out. I've had to minister to or counsel. I'll never forget my early days of pastoring a young lady who came into my office to tell me that she had been raped by her father and that her daughter was her sister. And that because her mother didn't believe in abortion, she was raising her sister. And mentally, um, no matter how much we, we tried to minister to her spiritually, mentally taking care of this young lady every day was very hard for her until on her mother's dying bed, the mother says to her, your dad is not your dad. So then your daughter's not your sister. So it made a difference for her in life. Um, <clears throat> I, I think that we get, I, I, I wanna go back to the question you actually asked Archbishop, and you actually asked about um, the passion behind what we do. And I think that we get caught up in what we think and how we feel. My mentality is right, is, is this, that one of us is right, and one of us is wrong. I agree with Bishop Luter in that um, the, 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 
and 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 I agree with Bishop Designate uh, when she said, you know, there's a schizophrenia um, that it, it appears to be a schizophrenia, and 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 that that's a that's a good word to use. However, I agree with Bishop when he goes, well, it's never going to all come together and be the same. When we get to heaven, we're going to sing and shout. We're all going to be one. But while we're here, God gave us the right. He gave us the opportunities. Biblically, the the apostles didn't think the same way. Peter was called to one direction. Paul was called to the, into another direction. Mark wrote his book first. Matthew came by him, took a little bit from his book, and so on and so on. And they didn't think the same all the time. Um, but they did have one common goal. There was one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And I think that each and every church should have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're gonna have social justices that we have to deal with. We're gonna, we're going. Can you guys hear me? We're going to have to deal with different things. How did some things creep in? I'll tell you how some things crept in. Um, do I believe in same-sex marriages? No, I don't. But I have a daughter. And if my daughter comes to me and says to me that I'm in love with this woman, I'm going to do everything that I can to try to persuade her not to take that route. Because in, 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 my, in my opinion, when I read the Bible, when I look and see what I see, this is not what God wants for us. But my daughter is still going to be invited to my house on Thanksgiving. And if the only way for me to get my daughter into my house is to let her bring her friend with her, then I'm going to yield to that because I love my daughter. And so sometimes it's the love that we have for our bodies, the love that we have for each other, the love that we have for our children, the love that we have for our family um, that helps change the, the dynamics. When I first started pastoring as one of the first female pastors in Long Island, placed into a Baptist church, the men were not happy. And they would use me to come to different banquets or come to different conferences and to speak out regarding the women. Why? Because they had, uh, some of the other pastors had daughters who had been called to ministry, had wives who should be their co-pastors and they needed to usher it in. But they were never thinking about utilizing their daughters or utilizing their wives until someone else came along and they said, and, and my, my, my whole conversation to them was, well, what are you going to say when your granddaughter comes to you and say, pop, pop, I'm called to preach. You're going to tell her, no, you can't preach. You're passionate about preaching this gospel. And so a lot of times our passion, our passion, the, the, the Ku Klux Klan believed what they believed. They were passionate about it. If it took burning a cross to put fear into somebody, to make that person feel inferior, they believed in what they believed. You go to different churches, they believe in what they believe. I say this all the time. First time I wouldn't preach for Bishop's um, convocation, I received a letter. It said, you have this amount of time to do this, this amount of time to do that, and this amount of time to do that. Bishop believed that we didn't have to be in church all day. I believe, on the other hand, we could stay in church so everybody want to go home. But we believe what we believe, and we operate, we function on that. Is it right? We're going to find out when we get to heaven. Somebody's right on, on this panel and somebody's wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's the unfortunate part. <laughs> but thank you so much, Bishop Green. Um, listen, Bishop Hines, we're coming to you. And um, I know that you are ready. I can see you squaring your shoulders, getting ready to get into the fray here. So we bless God for you. Um, when we look at this as a whole, is this predicated upon either interpretation of scripture, misinterpretation? Is there is some heresy going on? Is there some false teaching? How is it that we can't be unified? Bishop Luther made a very valid point that there are always going to be some distinctions 
but where can we find some common ground? Wow. You know, I, I love what Bishop Green talked about from the cultural perspective. African-Americans, we believe inherently that charity always starts at home. And so there is an inherent place within the African-American community that we have to be more diligent and more forthright about the wrongs that were passed down to us from generation to generation. But to bring us to a center aisle, because I'm all about that was then, this is now, to move in, in the spirit of a Christian, regardless to your ethnic preference or choice, or lifestyle preference or choice. The word of God is this. Mark says it plainly in Mark 12, 30 and 31. It's real clear. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the commandment. And then that's followed by the second, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so from my lens, a Christian understands the traditions of the word of God and we stand on it as African-Americans, as non-African-Americans. But we also have to love our neighbor, like Bishop Glenn has talked about, uh, Green has talked about, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. if we had know an individual that is betwixt their God-given preference of normality to what they call their normality now versus what was written and they were created in, love them anyway. To love them does not make you a liberal. To love them is to make you a kingdom citizen. Let's not be tricked by the enemy here. I love my conservative position because conservatism stands on the word of God. But at the same token, I got to love my neighbor as I love myself. If that's my child, it don't even have to be my child. I got members I minister to the same-sex practitioners. I'm going to love them because it's the agape love that's inside of us as kingdom citizens. Don't let Democrat or Republican play us from our position that God says who we are. You better love them. You better hug them. You better kiss them. You better encourage them. So if they participate in abortion, that's a personal choice. That's, that's their individual choice. That's between them and God. I'm not going to hold my hand over because I can't throw a stone at nobody because I got too many things going on in my own life. Can I, be, can I tell the truth? And so let's, let's be real with this thing and reach over to our conservative Christian group and just say, you're a kingdom citizen. Remind them what the word of God says in Mark 12, 30 and 31. That will put them in check to realize your cultural identity, I love that we brought that up, does not trump your kingdom citizenship identity. I'm going to rest at that point right there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Bishop Hines. You were very passionate about sharing your sentiments in that manner. Uh, Overseer Helen, I'm sure you got something stirred in your spirit now. Um, that you can share with us 
when we start talking about our, our, our Christian norms or our Christian values, um, how do we differentiate um, from a political platform, a denominational platform, to mm. just following the creeds of the Word of God? I don't think you, I mean, if you are a Christian, and I go back to, I think, and yes, I hear, this has been real good. We have been manipulated. We have been, interpretation has been wrong. But if, but if we go back to who we are as kingdom people, it should, it should actually push us to be more like Christ-like. It should push us to be like Jesus, where we can love the unlovable. We can, uh, we can uh, put our arms around those that maybe have been, uh, have been AIDS victims and that. Myself, I feel that there should not be a difference between state <laughs> separation of state and church because we are the church all the time. And I believe that, um, and I'm not for sure if I'm answering your question, but um, I cannot separate it. Uh, if we're to be uh, like Christ and we're to love people, he loved us before we were saved. He loved us in the beginning when we were unlovable. And so I dare us to try to do the same with people. You know, we talk about abortion, you know, and I go back to it. No one has the right to tell anyone to do what to do with their body. We always pick at the women, but men get bisectomies. So what's, what's that all about? You're, you're, you're doing just as bad, you know, and we never bring that up, you know. I just, I have a problem with, um, you know, we can assimilate, but we have assimilated into the world so much that we've forgotten that we are kingdom people. And when we go back to the basics and of how we're to love one another, forgive one another, then we can, we can be the church and we'll see people coming together. It does not mean that we're um, all think alike, but there ought to be, you know, there's different ways to the same means. We don't compromise the word, but people may come, to, uh, there's different means to that end. And I think we have to realize that, you know, as we as men and women of God, we've got to realize that we're, um, Oh, we're his people, and we have to let this mind be in us that's in Christ Jesus, and uh, and empty some of the other things that we have. You know, we uh, there was a time when our people were manipulated more because they weren't as as educated, but they're educated now. They can interpret. They have the Greek, the Hebrew. They can go back, and you can't manipulate things to them. And when it comes to women. You know, when we understand who we are, then we don't have to compete. Uh, and, and, and I've had problems, more problems with other women that didn't know who they were. Because, you know, I'm not a fembot. A fembot is somebody that, you know, you just pull the puppet strings, they go along with whatever's that. So we have to understand who we are as men and women. And when we can do that, boy, we'll see, we'll see the, the king, his kingdom on earth and it'll come on earth as it is in heaven. But as long as we're not, and we're going along with someone else's interpretation and not getting in that word ourselves and, uh, and uh, striving to know what it is and really work it, 
then we're going to continue to be that way. And then we have, once we know, then we have obligation to help someone else. He says, you know, when we've been strengthened, then strengthen your brother, you know. I don't know if that was Thank you. Oh, bless you, Bishop Designate. Um, thank God for you all. Um, this has been so powerful and so impactful, and um, it gives us some a lot of food for thought. Um, <clears throat> Bishop Green had mentioned about um, you know, her love for her daughter, if she just happened to go down in a direction that um, was opposite than what she, her, her will was for her, that she would invite them to dinner. Those are some very deep things. And we know that the Pope just came out and he started talking about civil unions. So we're dealing with a number of issues that's right before us. And we have to ask God for wisdom and grace to know how to navigate them and come to a conclusion. Rather than following just a platform, a political platform or denominational platform, we have to follow um, the wisdom and the revelation of God that has been given to us. I'm gonna let Archbishop Goff, and I understand is back, I'm gonna let him put the icing on the cake and um, bring all this. I hope that he was with us to some extent, but we were dealing with when you left us Archbishop, about the conservative liberalism, how should we be able to walk this out as people of God or as kingdom people? As, as uh, Bishop Goff, Archbishop Goffin comes, I just have to insert this because mm -hmm. these conversations are so important and it is true that iron sharpens iron. I want to commend uh, Bishop Designate uh, what she said today has been so, I, I've never thought about it before. I've never thought about it before, that there is a connection. Nobody questions a man having jurisdiction over his body to make a decision about his body, to avoid and abort life, even preconceptually. Mm -hmm. But then we want to say to a woman that she does not have jurisdiction over her body to do the, to make decisions that end up in the same place. Because the only reason men get bisectomies is because they don't want a pregnancy. And I, the, the, that point that you've made overseer, that has really helped me. I have never thought about that before, but mm -hmm. uh, you, 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 you opened the light and opened the door for me to think about that in ways that, um, I had not considered before. And I want to thank you for that. And, and I think that's the point. That's the point. It takes a woman who is a woman to bring out that point because as, as and this is my position, as a man, I don't have a right to dictate to women what to do with their bodies. Their bodies is under their jurisdiction. And you really helped me with your illustration. And I just had to get that in before we close today. Archbishop. Uh, thank you, Bishop Luda. Um, you, you guys put me right to the wire. It's at uh, 10 o'clock. I know we have to leave. I just want to say three things in, in reference to what we've uh, been talking about that I think is important. I think we've got to get to the point that we can't expect, number one, unsaved people to act like Christians. So when we try to impose our Christian values on people who have not accept Christianity, I think we have a, we have a problem there. And I just want to leave with one scripture. The other thing I, I want to mention, Bishop Bowen about the Pope in, in his defense, uh, he said that his comments got out of line and they said that it didn't mean what it, they said it means. He, clean, he keeps saying that he's got the conservative viewpoint. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 begins, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. 
Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I just wanted to cover that much of it because I think that when we start legislating and worrying about what people are doing outside of the church and what we are, now I understand that we may have an argument inside the church, but even as Bishop Green mentioned, if you've got your daughter who is doing this or someone's doing this, this is family matters. In terms of our principles and where we are, we can't expect the whole world to abide by our principles because we're Christians. What I do, I, you, you got to get that resolved like Joshua. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. There's certain things I'm not going to allow in my house, you know, and um, it, it, you, you might be able to do that out there. But when you come to my house, this is my domain and you can't do that in my house, but I can't control that in anybody else's house. You know, if somebody's a smoker, you're going to smoke in my house. But if I go to your house, I can't demand you not to smoke because that's yours. I'm going to take a fan and fan myself or I go outside. I can't tell you not to smoke in your house. And I think that what, when we get to this whole issue now of trying to discipline and make people be what they aren't to fit our mold, we have a problem. And the conversation goes on. Well, we conservative, a liberal. And, and when we talk about this issue of abortion or the issue of racism, remember what Jesus said to the uh, Pharisees, he and they start nitpicking on what they were going to obey about the law. He said, these you ought to have done, but not to leave the other undone. And I, and I think that while we're looking at what we're going to pick and choose, what we consider to be sin, or what we're going to remember that there are other things that, that we haven't looked at too. You don't want to deal with this, but you want to deal with this. And so you make this a placard and you act like this doesn't exist. So we have to, we're picking and choosing and we're doing it in the body of Christ. And so the church, I'm not concerned with the world being liberal or conservative. I'm worried about the church being liberal or conservative because that, that's where I'm at. And when we got liberal Christians, conservative Christians, let's say something about our viewpoint on the Bible. And the Bible is not about our opinion. It's about the interpretation of the word. Amen. I know our time's about out with over. Bishop Luther. Again, thank you all so very, very much. This has been our weekly clergy roundtable. This has been a spirited exchange and discussion. We'll be back next week. Make sure that you're here with us. Until then, do remember God loves you. We love you. And we look forward to seeing you real soon. God bless.